0: This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Are science and faith compatible? And uh, if you were here last week, you saw the video of the guy that just said, yes, and I'm with him. Uh, I think it's really um, more prevalent today than maybe at some times in history where there's this sense of uh, debate or uh, clashing of this idea that science and faith cannot go hand in hand. How many of you uh, are watching uh, Cosmos, A Space Odyssey? I was wondering on Sunday nights. Uh, how many of you remember Carl Sagan, the original, about 30 years, yeah, that's billions and billions of stars. Uh, I think about 400 million people Watched the original episode in 60-some different countries. So uh, my spirit and my tone in all this is that uh, it is a wonderful thing to be alive. And it is fascinating to be about the discovery of what science can offer us. And it's absolutely fascinating to be about the discovery of what faith can offer us. (laughs) And when those two are joined together, when you have knowledge and you have vital piety, devoutness, as John Wesley said, you got a great combination. And so today, I just want to share a little bit about uh, some historical perspective on this, as well as uh, maybe touch on some of the current issues and debate behind the question. I love Galileo's statement <clears throat> there are two big books the book of nature and the book of supernature, the Bible. A great scientist, a great mathematician, a great person of faith said that. The words of the Psalm, Psalm 19, that speaks to this, (coughs) that the heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, Their voice is not heard, and yet their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The heavens have set a tent for the sun. There is a voice, isn't there? When you look up at the heavens, the moon and the stars at night, that speaks, that that words can never put into words, about the majesty and the wonder of this God of ours and the order of creation. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Romans, he had the concern of of talking about not simply the gospel, but he wanted to lay out in very clear terms in the first few chapters that there's this natural revelation of God as well as the supernatural revelation of God, the supernatural revelation of God coming to us through Jesus Christ. But the natural revelation of God, he says, should tell us something about God also. And so he writes in Romans 1, verse 20, that ever since the creation of the world has eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. Let's leave those words up there for a moment. What's Paul telling us? That there's something about just looking at the created order, something about beholding creation, beholding nature, that should tell us something about a God that is orderly, a God that has character, a God that we can trust. The philosopher Immanuel Kant really spoke to this too. And I don't remember much about my college philosophy class, do you? but I remember how wonderfully Kant talked about the natural revelation in the sense that there's two things, he says, that primarily amaze me, the starry heavens above and the moral law within. And so Paul and Kant, philosophers, religion, faith, has said over and over again and again that there is a natural revelation that speaks something about the creation and the world order. Now, the question or the big debate that's behind the question about whether science and faith are compatible is really a clash in many circles and our universities and our campuses today on a clash of two worldviews. John Lennox is a guy that if you want to pursue this and his thoughts, he's the professor of mathematics at Oxford University, he's a devout Christian, he's going to the campuses He's entering into conversation with Dawkins and others that's purporting about the new atheism. And and Lennox, I think, really hits the nail on the head when he says that really the big debate going on in our culture today is atheism versus theism. I mean, do you believe in God or do you not? And if you believe in God... What kind of God do you believe in? (coughs) Excuse me. Lennox talks about how that uh, if I don't believe in God, then I'm a free moral agent. I can kind of do whatever I want to do. I don't have to answer anybody because there is no ultimate justice. There is no ultimate judge. There is no sense of moral character that I must be responsible for. I remember as a young person thinking about this. Thinking about, you know, if there isn't really a God, I don't have to worry about my actions or my accountability. So I think there is this spiritual dimension that Paul's talking about, that Kant's talking about, that Lennox is talking about, that's behind the debate. So what is so prevalent about this new atheism movement is that there is no one, ultimately, we have to answer to. And if that is true, my friends, when theism is diminished, I would suggest to you that things become more chaotic and our world becomes more unraveled. And our culture becomes more disintegrated. And while I'm an optimist at heart, I think we can see these things happening before our very eyes. Now, confession is good for the soul. The church sometimes has been an error. The church sometimes is too narrow. The church sometimes is not open to scientific. Fact or reasoning or thought, Copernicus and Galileo, great people of faith, with their findings that went against the teaching of the church, it went against the modern uh, the thinking of the day, the heliocentric view of the universe. Know that the Earth did revolve around the sun. Uh, these scientists these learned men were excommunicated from the church or they were put under house arrest. And while there may be debate about the reasons why they were done, uh, what the, why the church did with them as they did, still the church at times has come across as anti-intellectual and not open to truth wherever that source of truth comes from. We have failed at times as Christians to really believe that all truth is ultimately God's truth. So the church needs to confess. Confession is good for the soul. But you know also, there are people of the other spectrum that also need to confess. Bertrand Russell was a Nobel Prize Prize winner a great learned man a a, a great humanitarian but this scientist of the 20th century I think really speaks what became more prevalent in people's thinking when he said what science cannot tell us mankind cannot know now that is a preposterous statement that is not a scientific statement is it (laughs) that's a philosophical statement if you really believe in that statement, which went away from us, <laughs> what science cannot tell us, mankind cannot know, you better shut down all the humanities and all the universities. You better shut down the philosophy department. And what some of the, the new atheists are saying is there is no philosophy. Shut down all the arts if you really believe that the only thing that you can know is through science, science. Oh my goodness. How limiting is that? And so part of the confession that needs to be made as a part of the debate and the culture that's going on is that science is a great is of wonderful value. But it makes a mighty poor god. That science and faith need each other. So I think these words of these wise persons down through the centuries makes a lot of sense to me. Einstein's statement that science without religion is lame, religion without science is blind. Or the words of Pope John Paul II when he said that science can purify religion from error and superstition. Religion can purify science from idolatry and false absolutes. Each can draw the other into a wider world, a world in which both can flourish. And St. Augustine, centuries ago, fourth century, said, In matters that are so obscure and far beyond our vision, we find Holy Scripture passages which can be interpreted in very different ways without prejudice to the faith. We have received. In such cases, we should not rush headlong and so firmly take our stand on one side that if further progress in the search for truth justly undermines this position, we all fall with it. What's Augustine saying? Well, down through the centuries, we can just have this clash that's unnecessary. That science and faith can flourish together and can learn from each other and need each other. Well, let's talk just a little bit about the thorny issue of evolution. Um, I want to just kind of share with you that for me, um, I don't worry about this stuff. <laughs> I don't have an engineer mind. I'm not a mathematician. But to me, the Scripture is never written to tell us how the world was created. It tells us by whom the world was created, and there is, of course, this larger conversation or debate that goes on between creationism versus evolution. There's a source that I found about three years ago in doing some research that I, I found very helpful—a website, BioLogos dot org and that website is in your pray study grow notes so you can access that it shares the wisdom of Dr. Francis Collins Dr. Francis Collins is an outstanding Christian a geneticist and through his research they've been able to identify the disease genes and because of the genetic research is able to be predictive about the type of disease that someone is inclined to face in life and how we could be proactive through modern medicine and caring for and counteracting that disease. And so the same kind of genetic research that lends itself, and we see value in all that well, the research and the data studies uh, the origin of the species. And so there's different theories: macro and microevolution. Does a species evolve within itself or does, is there an evolvement from one species to another? And there's people of good faith and good science that differ with this. But I love the principle that bio, biology, logos, the word, go hand in hand. And I think that's a great research to point particularly young people to who think they have to choose between evolution and God. Alistair McCrath talks about uh, the blending of this, that taken together, the two Genesis creation accounts declare that God made all things simultaneously while allowing for various kinds of living things, making their appearance gradually over time. You know, um, it doesn't doesn't bother me to think and to believe in the Big Bang Theory. I don't get hung up on the debate about uh, how old the earth is. I do have a little trouble with some Christians who think it's only about 6,000 years old. Uh, is the earth millions of years is it billions of years did it come into existence out of a big bang billions 13 billion years ago but the larger question is however it happened do you believe that there is a divine intelligence behind that and to look at the order of the world and the universe and not to believe in that seems to be the bigger leap of faith So there is this dynamic combination of faith and science. And and when those two come together, and there's examples of all kinds of fine, learned persons of of faith and science that that subscribe to this, the world is better off. I love... uh, the sharing of the stories of Neil Armstrong you remember perhaps 35 years ago on that summer night in 1969 when we landed on the moon you remember Neil Armstrong's famous quote one small step by man one giant leap by mankind he also said before he left The lunar surface these words good luck Mr. Gorski and they didn't know what in the world he meant by that NASA never understood good luck Mr. Gorski they didn't know who Mr. Gorski was they thought maybe he was some Russian cosmonaut that he was just sending a code message to and for years they would ask Neil Armstrong the question who was Mr. Gorski and Armstrong would never tell them. Until about 25 years after the event, near the end, or near the end of Armstrong's life, he said, well, Mr. Gorski's passed away now, so I guess I could tell you the story, that when I was a kid and I was playing baseball with my brother in the front yard, and my brother overthrew the ball, the ball landed under the bedroom window of our neighbors, the Gorskis. And while I was fetching the ball, Mrs. Gorski said, sex? You want sex? You'll get sex when the kid next door walks on the moon. <laughs> I didn't get to tell my sex sermon, so that, would have, that was the contribution. You can see why Jason was given that job. (laughs) But it was returning on Apollo 11. The Neil Armstrong looked out from his capsule. And he noticed this pea-sized, bluish marble show up in view. And he realizes, all of a sudden, it's the earth and Armstrong said, I put my thumb over that, that pea-sized marble and blocked it out completely. And I felt very insignificant. I felt very humbled. And without the existence of God, without the belief that there is a God of justice and morality, that there is there, a God that has created this, there's a the God that we're going to, there, there's a God that we can personally know without, without that hope, without that faith. And where do you ever have a sense of significance in this life? I mean, a hundred years from now, people will not even think about us. 50 years from now people living will not even know you or remember you there may be someone in the family that checks on their ancestors but what gives us significance is this clear understanding that there is a personal god and the same one that calls in the beginning god creates the heavens and the earth that same god knows us by name and has visited this planet. And so the words of Psalm 8 speak to the issues of the heart that science never can. That when I look at thy heavens, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man or what are human beings? That you are mindful of them mortals that you care for them that you have made them a little lower than god and crowned them with glory and honor i love the words of david crowder the songwriter when he asked the question what was said unto the rose to make it unfold this creator that keeps creating and recreating and making all things new, is known to us, has been visited this planet, is indwelling through the spirit of the believer's heart. It can make all things new. And so we worship this God. We worship this God in the laboratory, in the observatory, in the sanctuary and in our hearts. And we know this God by faith. Not a blind faith. I encourage you to investigate the faith. I encourage us to use reason and our scientific minds I encourage you to look at this book. I encourage you to look at, like at Luke's gospel when he says I investigated these things. I want you to know and I'm writing to you about this Jesus Christ. I want want you, I want the world to pursue the likelihood and what I believe the absolute truth, that ultimate reality, that ultimate truth, is known and experienced through Jesus Christ. That by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. And without faith it is impossible to please God for whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek Him.